last night, I, unbelievable. If you've not been on the social media to see lots of the videos, and, and uh, I think there was over 430 uh, young people in here. I know, come on, amazing. And uh, uh, just an opportunity to bring young people together to talk to them about Jesus in a, in, in a setting that they can understand or can, can relate to. And also there was lots of strobe lights and pizza being thrown around. So I know, I know. So I, I take it in doses, right? The older I'm 47, the older I get, the less time I can spend in here in the uprising. And it's a, it's a great indication of your, of your age about uh, how many minutes you, can, uh, minutes you can log in. So... Well, I'm excited for tonight. I know I say that every week, but I'm a little extra excited tonight because um, I'm sharing at uh, a friend's church tomorrow in Tawana. And so on Tuesday, I spent some time praying and studying and, and, and created an outline for a message that I wanted to share at their, at their church that I felt like God gave to me. And then I had set aside Wednesday to really begin to kind of hone in on what we wanted to focus in for the Welcome Weekend. There's a lot that we can cover. So, the, so, so, so what I try to do in the Welcome Weekend is really pray and say, what, I'm, what am I supposed to focus on? Because a lot of the, the details of the information, that's going to come through that time that you're going to be able to spend together. And we hope you take advantage of that. If, if, you're, if you're new to the church and you have have never been to a welcome weekend. It could be that you've been here for almost a year. Does that make sense? And you've never been to a welcome weekend or, or a Discovering City Life class before. You, you need to go into this because you're going to learn things about the City Life Church. And, and it gives you an opportunity to learn and begin to connect your life to other people, which we're going to talk about tonight. So on Wednesday, you know, I'm a little bit of a type A personality. If you've been a part of the church, you know, I, I joke about myself. And so I need my office to be kind of neat in order for me to be focused. And so it gets a little messy like everybody's offices do. And you get piles, and, and, I, and then I, I need to file that and move that stuff around so, so I don't have clutter. If there's clutter in the room, there's clutter in my mind. You, anybody else with me? So, so thank you. I see a few hands out there, and there were many others who your, 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 your hands should have gone up, so just be honest with yourself. And so, so part of what happens to me is I get all these ideas for sermons, and so when it comes, I write it on a post-it note or on the back of a piece of paper or whatever I see lying around. If I'm praying, I get an idea, and then all that stuff gets piled around, and so every now and again, I have to sort those and file them and get them into the right place or they'll be, they'll be lost. And so as I'm doing that, there was one particular note on 1 Corinthians 12, and I had jotted down a few ideas. And every time I picked that thing up, I, I felt the Spirit of God say to me, I want you to spend some time with us today, right? And so I'm saying, I, that's not on my schedule today, Holy Spirit. You know, I've got work to do, right? I've got to get this office clean. I've got a message right. But it just, every time I pick it up, it's just, it's the same thing. I spend some time with this today. And so I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a couple of, you know, maybe about 10 minutes or so and read a little bit. Two, two hours later, two hours later, I, uh, I'm, I'm in my office and I realize, hey, th this is supposed to be our message not, not just the message I'm going to preach tonight, I'm going to preach it tomorrow. There is something in this chapter, there is something in this text that is supposed to be for us this weekend. God knows who's going to show up. You with me? He knows who's coming, and so oftentimes, you know, he shifts things for us. That's why as a church that we're always going to have live teaching and live worship at every campus that we ever plant and launch because we want to position and posture ourselves in a way to be able to move with the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us about what 
what he wants to say when we gather together. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to work through this text. We're going to cover a lot of ground tonight in this chapter in the Bible. Don't forget that the Bible, the whole idea of chapters and verses, that didn't come until much later. They started with chapters and it was centuries later. They added the verses that, that especially these, these books in the New Testament, they were letters, right? And so, so this 12th chapter, it's a, it's a place in a letter that the Apostle Paul, who's the founding pastor at a church in an ancient city called Corinth, and they, they were in trouble. And, and so he had a father's heart and he's writing to them to bring encouragement and in some moments of correction. And so this 12th chapter, this, this is a part in the letter that we get to that we're going to focus in on. I'm going to take this chapter and I'm going to turn it into five promises that I'm going to make to you on behalf of everybody who calls the City Life Church their home. If you're here tonight and you're asking the question, tell me about the City Life Church, you're going to learn about us through these five promises that I'm going to make to you. And if you already call the City Life Church your home, I trust that as you hear these five promises, it's going to remind you why you're excited that you've made a decision to, to throw in here. Father, so we, we just open up our hearts to you tonight. Holy Spirit, we know that, that you are the great teacher, that you are the one who brings revelation. And so, Father, we just, we, we give our hearts to you that your will be done. Holy Spirit, we say, speak to us, teach us whatever it is that you want us to see. Maybe it is that for somebody in here tonight that, that it's just one of these that they need to, to, to get a hold of, Father. Maybe for some it's, it's all five. Have your way with us. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen, amen. Okay, so, so, so just to kind of get our brains moving in the, the right direction, what, what are we like a little participation, do we not, here at the City Life Church? So what are some examples of times in your life where after there has been some moment or, or a decision you made or, or something that's happened, that on the other side of that moment, you knew that everything was about to change. That, there was, that, that when it happened, there was a great expectation that change was coming. So this week, Tim and I went to the hospital and got to visit with Anthony and, uh, and Amanda, right? Anthony and Amanda, when they left the hospital this week to bring little Addison Grace home, the, the conversation they didn't have was, I don't really think this is going to change anything, right, right? So Zachary, Zachary and Kimberly, I was visiting with them just this morning down at Obesey. There's a hospital in Suffolk. Did you know that? Called Obesey. Take your passport because there's some border crossings. It's so far away that you've got to get to. And so, so there's, right, they're there and their, their little daughter, Olivia, although I probably shouldn't say their little daughter, Olivia, because she is She's healthy. Can we just say that? She's healthy. Zachary told, Zach told the story that she, she, she had to actually have a cesarean at the last minute because the, the baby was, was too big. And so, and so they said when they pulled the, the Zach, Zach was in there, when they pulled the baby out, that, that the doctor and all the nurses broke into spontaneous laughter because her cheeks were so chubby of this baby. Great. She's going to love that story, isn't she? That I'm telling that here. And so, right, so they're not having a conversation as a new mom and dad, I, I really don't think this is going to change much, right? It's going to change everything. What, what are some moments in your life where you've said this is going to change everything? Raise your hand, I'll point to you. Come on. Signing the dotted line for the Air Force, Nathaniel. Volunteering to go to Afghanistan in the military, yes. Getting married, I know. Retirement. Losing a wife, yes. Times of great tragedy and death. And 
Dad got saved. Come on. That's a good one. Somebody else. Somebody else had their hand. Packed up and moved cross country. Oh, you guys are rolling tonight. Somebody else. Did I see a hand up? Marvin. Moving to a new house. Moving to a new house. Somebody else. Anybody over here? No hands up over here? They all took your answers, didn't they? It's just like elementary school. I was going to say that. All right. Nobody else? Anybody? Kevin? Moving with Hannah and David. Moving in with Hannah and David. I know. I know. Yeah. It's all sinking in, right? Actually, that was David and Hannah's answer when Kevin moved in with us. Right? Stephanie. Yeah, three years ago, Stephanie on her way to boot camp. Yeah, come on. He was on the plant team coming out of Christian Life Center almost nine years ago. Come on. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, moving to another parent's house. Oh, these are good, right? Everyone that you just mentioned, when it happened, you said there's going to be change. In fact, for some of the things that you mentioned, other people watching you were saying something's going to change. There was an expectation of change. In fact, you could say with many of those, change was guaranteed. We're talking about that because that's exactly where the Apostle Paul picks up in this portion of the letter. He's written a lot to them already, but we believe the, the Bible is divinely inspired. So we're going to mention a lot. Paul wrote this, Paul said this, but we're understanding that Paul was a divine instrument for what God wanted to say, not just to that church some 2,000 years ago, but what God wants to say to us. So we get to this portion of the letter. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. I'm going to start. I'm going to move in and out of a few different translations. This is out of the New American Standard. We're going to spend most of our time in the New Living Translation, and then I'm going to reference the New King James just a little bit. All right, chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware you know that when you were pagans, that means before they were, had made a decision to, to become Christians, when you were pagans, you were led astray to, the dumb, to dumb idols, how, however you were led, meaning that different people were led away in different ways. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's just talk about that just a little bit. One of the things that I've not noticed before, all the times I've studied this text, that, that the New American Standard is one of the ones I reach to when I want to do some serious study, that the word gifts is in italics here. Now, now when a word is in, an ital is in italics in, your, in, your, in whatever Bible you're reading, it means that that word was not originally part of the translation. And that doesn't mean that it's not supposed to be there or, or it's a mistake, that sometimes when you're translating from one language to another, that, that, that you've got to add some things to convey the meaning. And so especially when you're talking about an ancient language to a modern day language. But I just, I want to suggest to you tonight that sometimes it could be that the word that they've added to try to bring clarity can actually create a little bit of confusion. And I think that's what's happened with the beginning of this verse. I want to read you what the message says. In fact, I, I would suggest to you that no matter what translation you're using, you should just mark the first verse out and write this in. This is, this is what the Message Bible says. What I want to talk about now is the various ways that God's Spirit gets worked into our lives. Let me read that again. What I want to talk to you about now is the various ways that God's Spirit gets worked into our lives. And then what Paul, the very next thing that he says, he begins to talk about change. 
Now, the reason I say that is because this is a fill-in-the-blank text in the Bible. A fill-in-the-blank text is when there is a principle that's being taught and an example is being given. But sometimes we can over-identify with the example that we forget the principle or we miss the principle. What Paul is saying here is that if the Spirit of God is alive inside of you, there should be change. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, there should be some things that you're not doing. And if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, there should be some things that you are doing. Paul, in this point of his letter, is saying to the church, hey, if there has been no change in your life from when you made a vow of devotion to Christ, when you were a pagan, when you were running from God, when you were living your life however you wanted to live it, if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ and there's been no change in your life, Paul's saying, I have some questions for you because I'm concerned about you. Now, we definitely are of the mindset and opinion as a church, it's only for God to know the sincerity of a person's heart. It's not for me to say whether or not your vow of devotion to Christ was sincere. That's not my job. And, and that's not anybody in this church's job. But there are people that I love, there are people that I have a relationship with, and, and if they've made a vow of devotion to Christ, and then it, it doesn't seem as though there's been any change in their life, you better believe those are gonna be people that I wanna sit down and talk with, to say, hey, I have some questions for you. Paul is saying, Church of Corinth, I have some questions for you. Because I've heard that there are people that are doing some things. It gives me pause. The book of James. Oh, you got to love the book of James. I think somebody might even be doing that as a life group this coming fall. The book of James. If you've got your Bible, you can flip there. James 1, 23 to 24. Paul's saying, if, if, if there has been an inward decision, there should be outward signs. Listen to what James says. James says it a different way. James 1, 23 to 24. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself and you walk away and you forget what you look like. This is what Paul's saying to the church of Corinth. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, you have made a decision to live your life for the rest of your life looking into God's word and to see the reflection of who you are. And, and, and you should be looking to say, when I look into God's word and when I look at my life, are there things that I'm seeing that aren't supposed to be in my life and am I willing to stop doing those things? Am I willing to let the word of God begin to define who I am? And when it defines who I am, it means that I'm willing to stop doing the things that I'm supposed to stop doing and that I'm supposed to start doing the things that I'm supposed to start doing. Now, many of us are familiar with this whole idea of Christianity. And for some of you, maybe that's why you've not made, yet made a vow of devotion to Christ because you appreciate the weightiness of that kind of decision. But Paul's not done here. What, what, what Paul's saying here in just these few verses and by virtue of what he's actually doing by writing this letter and calling out these things that he's saying needs to change, he's saying to us, hey, sometimes you don't see it yourself. And you need people who love you enough to write you a letter. Call you. Private message you on Facebook. And say, when I look into God's word and I see you, could I just share some things that I see in you that I don't see in God's word? And, and what Paul's saying to the church of Corinth is that you have got to be a community of people that loves each other enough to look into God's word together. I need people in my life who love me enough and who are courageous enough to come to me, and they might not use these words, but this is what they're saying. When I see you, when I see into the Bible, these are some things that I see that are of a concern to me. And it might be things that I need to stop or things that I need to start. 
this is part of the gift of being in community together. I'm not talking about controlling relationships or ruling each other's lives. I'm talking about friends who love each other enough and who spend time in God's Word together enough because we all have blind spots. And if you don't think that you have blind spots, then you've just found yours. So this is my first promise to you tonight. We are a church that's going to look together. We are a church that's going to love each other enough, be courageous enough to look into God's word together and talk about what we see. Talk about what we find, not just for our sake, but for the sake of those people who are around us. And so this promise now becomes an invitation. If you've been living your life as a spiritual orphan, if you've been living your life disconnected from something called church, it's an invitation to you. If you don't have a church that you call home, then come look together with us. Come look together with us. Even if you find six months down the road, three months down the road, a year from now, you begin to realize this isn't the place that I'm supposed to stay, then we're going to help you get connected to somewhere. But don't walk away frustrated because you can't find the place where you think that you fit in, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, because that's the devil's trap, is to get you to live by yourself. Because if the only thing that you're ever doing is looking to God in His Word by yourself, you're going to see a lot, but there's a lot that you're not going to see because the nature of humanity is that we're flawed, we have blind spots, which is why God has given us the gift of community. All right, verses 4 through 6. Now, we're entering in a transition part in the story, in the letter, and this is where Paul says, hey, now there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, and this isn't in italics, this is actually in the original Greek. I'm going to talk about that word gift in just a minute. There's, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, this is the New Living Translation, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. Now, we're going to get these notes online this week, and so if you're a note taker, we're probably going to move faster than you can write down, but we're going to get these online and you can download those. In the New King James, it talks about varieties of gifts, varieties of ministries, and a variety of activities. And what Paul is doing to these people that he's writing a letter to, he's letting them know, I'm going to talk about three things in the next few minutes. That's what Paul's saying here. And let me give you the three categories that I'm going to cover, and then I'm going to cover them one at a time. And he talks about varieties of gifts. That's verses 7 through 11. We're going to hit that. And he gives the emphasis there to the Holy Spirit. Then he says varieties of ministries. That's from the New King James. I'm pulling these words because I think they're more clear. That's verses 27 through 28. The emphasis there is placed on Jesus. And then he says there are a variety of activities. In the New Living Translation, it's, it's, it's translated ways. A variety of activities. That's verses 28 through 30. And the, and the, and the emphasis there is, is, is given to God. Now, I'm going to suggest, it's okay for you to write in your Bible. I'm just letting you know, right? It's okay. You can write in there. In fact, you should be writing in there or writing in something about that. This word gift is an interesting word. In the original language, it's the word charismatic. Charis is the word for grace, and, and when you put this suffix mata, it means the results of grace. You tracking with me? All right? And so the Greek language is a little bit more exact. They have lots of words where oftentimes we only have one word, right? And so if you show up at a birthday party or if you show up at a housewarming, you're expected to bring a a gift. If you're inviting people over to a birthday party, you're really inviting them over for one reason, right? You want the gifts that they're going to bring, right? So we, we understand that's what this word gift means. And in the Greek, that's a different word. It's doria. 
not Imodium AD, Dorea. Are you with me? All right. That's that kind of gift. I'm showing up at a party. I want to give a friend something. The tea we gave to Jews. The, the book in the bag and the CD we gave to little Addison. You tracking with me? Charismatic, that's a whole different kind of gift. It means it is the result of grace. See, because these other kinds of gifts, you've kind of done a little something to deserve that. If it's your birthday, you've, right, you've lived another year. You've earned that, right? It's a housewarming gift. You've worked hard. You've saved. You've labored. You've purchased out. You've done something to warrant the gift that's being given to you. In the Greek, there's a whole other word that says sometimes there are gifts that come to us. You cannot earn it. You don't deserve it. It is the result of grace. That's what Paul's talking about here. And I think if sometimes if we would just put that in there instead of gift, it would help us see more in what this text wants to give to us. Paul's saying there are many kinds of results of grace in our lives that are spiritual in nature because of who the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. And then he says there are also different kinds of ministries by virtue of being a part of the body of Christ, and there are also many kinds of activities that are a part of God's church. And as we work through each one of these, what you're going to find is that Paul makes a subtle shift where he talks about gifts, then he talks about manifestation. And where he talks about ministry, then he goes and he talks about the body. And where he talks about activities, then he goes and talks about the church. And there's a reason why he makes these shifts and he picks these words because the language of the Bible is instructive. Verses 7 through 11. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other, right? Let me say that again. The result of grace that is spiritual in my life is given to me so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. And to another, the same, the, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives the, the great faith to another. And to someone else, the, one Spirit gives the gift of healing. And so on and so on. And he works his way down the list. Now tonight's not a message on spiritual gifts. We could do a whole series on that. We've talked about doing that. And at some point, I'm sure we're going to get to that in our life together as a church. The idea of spiritual gifts, it's a big concept. Sometimes a spiritual gift, a result of grace, is something that happens in my life in a moment as a manifestation, which we're going to talk about tonight. But also they can be something that defines who you are. So here Paul is giving a list of manifestations. In fact, that's why he uses the word manifestation. In the Greek, it's phanerosis. It means to make clear. It means to make vivid. It means to reveal something. What Paul is saying here is as a result of grace, because salvation happens through grace, we don't earn the forgiveness of God. We cannot deserve the Spirit of God that comes and lives inside of me. And when I make a vow of devotion to Christ, we say here at the City Life Church, you take your first spiritual breath, because the Spirit of God now comes and lives inside of us. And when the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us, we become a candidate candidate for the supernatural. We become a candidate for the Holy Spirit to use us to reveal himself to the world so that he can point people to Jesus. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, John 14, 15, and 16. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself alone, but to draw attention to himself so that he can point people to Jesus. Paul is saying, hey, there is a result of grace that should be operating in your life because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you. You should be walking around throughout your life with an expectation that there might be a moment where the Holy Spirit's going to call upon you to reveal himself to the world in a way that's unexplainable. 
I remember the, the first house that I bought in the inner city of Richmond. I had been the year before to New York School of Urban Ministry where we just went to for the first time as a mission trip. We're going to be going there a couple of times a year. That's a special place for me because when I was in my early 20s, I went on a missions trip there and we were in a church service and I felt like God spoke to me and this is what he said, I want you to run quickly to Nineveh, my son. I, I've never heard God's voice, but I say I feel his voice. I wrote that down in my journal and for several weeks later when I got home, I was living in Richmond. I'd moved back in with my parents because my life had been a wreck and I'm trying to get it back together now that I'm following Christ. And I went up to this hill in Richmond. It was one of my favorite places to go and pray at night and you could see over the city. And as I was sitting there praying about this thing that I felt like God called me to, I felt like God spoke to me and said, this is the Nineveh that I've called you to. So I began a search to look for a place to live in the city. And, and, and during that search, God spoke to me again and he said, a well-lit room doesn't need another candle wrote that down in my journal. Ended up living in the city for a year while I was working through what that meant. A well-lit room doesn't need a candle and another candle. I knew what God was saying. I I want you to live in a dark place. I want you to live in a hurting place. I want you to live in a broken place. And so after living in the city for a year, I ended up buying this HUD home in the the city, 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 right next to one of the projects. And I kind of got lost the first time I was going to see it. And I stopped to ask this gentleman for directions who was working on a ladder. And he kind of looked around and he came down and he looked right at me. He said, son, do you know where you are? Right? Because he's thinking, right, some poor real estate agent has taken advantage of this poor young man. And so I got to tell him a little bit about my story. I lived in that house for the next 10 years. I got married from that house, right? All of our kids were birthed in a hospital, brought back to that house. It was a big part of our journey. It was a big part of our story. As we were renovating that house early on in my, my journey, it was before I was married, we were planning to, it was an old tin roof, you know, these old inner city, it was built in 1918, and it was made of tin, and it was, it, it leaked like a colander, and so we were taking the tin off, you roll it down like a sardine can, you're all cut up, it's like a knife, and you're rolling it down, and we're going to shingle it, and so I've got a buddy of mine who, who, who's a roofer, and then there's a teenager who's there helping, and so we had picked a day where there was no forecast for rain, and so we're halfway through, you with me halfway through of we, we it was covered with a tarp so we pulled the tarp off we got all the felt paper down on one side all the shingles down it's all these different pitches we had moved to the other side and all of a sudden there was a rumbling and a grumbling off of the distance it was dark like the kind of dark that's not supposed to be happening in the daytime off on the horizon and I felt like God speaks to me and says friend I want you to stand up and pray that it's not going to rain for about 45 minutes I'm I'm wrestling with God because I just keep saying I, I don't have the faith to do that because it's going to rain it's getting darker, the lightning is getting closer, the thundering is loud. You can see that it's raining off in the distance, right? Because all of a sudden your vision is obscured from what you could see trees before and you can't see them anymore. It's moving right towards us. And so finally I just get to this place where I say, I can't do it, God. I cannot. I, I do not have the faith to stand up. People think that I'm crazy enough already for living in this house. If I start standing up here and praying like it's not going to rain, they're really going to know that I'm insane. Right? I, I can't. So all of a sudden... It's getting closer. All of a sudden, it starts to rain. It's dark. Now, most people have gone inside, and the rain is falling, and God says, he's just one more time, right? Don't you love the fact that God is not easily deterred? He says, Fred, I need, I need to know right now, are you willing to pray for it to stop raining? Now, there are moments in our lives where we disobey God, and it becomes a lesson for us. All of us have walked in places like that. But there are also moments in our lives, I believe, that if we disobey God, it will take us on a detour spiritually. Not that grace can't recover from us, but you with me? There are moments in life that are critical for us to say yes. And so in that moment, I said, all right, 
I'm going to put it, I'm just putting it all out there. If, if I'm going to live my life for Jesus, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to go all in. So I turned to Charlie and to Scotty and I said, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to pray. Now, I've got a big mouth, I'm going to pray as loud as I can, right, that it's not going to rain. And they said, all right. They're looking at me like, I think he's maybe got heat stroke or something, right? Because it's raining already. And I stood up on that roof and raised my hands and as loud as I could began to pray. And of course, I'm praying longer because I don't want to stop praying until it stops raining, right? And I'm praying. It does not stop raining. And then I just said, in Jesus' name, amen. I, I kid you not. As soon as we said amen, the clouds dissipated, the sun came back out, the rain stopped, all of us almost fell to our death on the top of that roof from jumping up and down. We were so overjoyed at what God had done. Now, one of my regrets in life is that I didn't do that sooner, right, because of the testimony that it could have been to the other people. But in hindsight, now I look back, God wasn't just doing it for them, He was doing it for me. He was trying to teach me something about life with him. He was trying to teach me something about this idea of making a vow of devotion to Christ. I should live my life with a sense of expectancy that there are going to be times where God calls on me, where the Holy Spirit says, I want to use you to make myself known to the world in ways that science and math and everything else cannot explain. In fact, it's one of my frustrations with some people in the circles of Christianity. They want to demystify everything that is Christian, but I'm just saying where the divine is present, there should be some mystery. Where the divine is present, our humanity should fall short in our understanding. So I'm promising you tonight, on behalf of everybody who calls the City Life Church their home, we are going to expect together. We are going to look together and we're going to expect together. So if you're here tonight, you don't have a church that you call home. You've been disconnected from the body of Christ. What I would say is come and expect together with us. All right, number three. Number three. Paul here connects this idea of ministry. Let me go back here. If you're a note taker, this is, this is, this is good. Just saying to myself. One of the greatest results of grace is being used for a moment of manifestation. One of the greatest results of grace is being used for a moment of manifestation. All right, now he shifts gears here. This is, this is what he's saying here. Is he shifts, and I'm not going to read 12 through 17 and 18 through 27. Those are long texts. You can write that down and read it together and check to see if what I'm saying is true. But here he shifts. Now he, right, he's talking about ministries. He connects it to the body. And what, he says, what he's saying here is that all ministry, listen to this, all ministry begins by learning how to serve one another as part of the same body. All ministry begins by learning how to serve one another as part of the same body. Now, this next section is broken into two subparts. There's 12 through 17 and 18 through 27. 12 through 17 and 18 through 27. Now, Paul, the word body of Christ appears in the Bible over 23 times in the New Testament. It's almost exclusively used, not always, but almost exclusively used by the Apostle Paul. And when you see the word the body of Christ, it can mean one of two things, or it can mean both together at the same time. It can mean the church everywhere or a church somewhere. So when Paul used the word the body of Christ, he could be talking about Christian churches everywhere, or he might be talking about a particular church somewhere. Now, when Paul shifts his conversation now away from manifestations, and he shifts into ministries, he shifts away from the focus on the Holy Spirit, and he shifts onto the focus of Jesus. And he uses the body of Jesus the, as a physical body, as a metaphor and an illustration for how we're supposed to connect together. 
And in the first part here, right, this part's broken up into two sections. The first part, Paul is saying, expect diversity. Expect people to be different. Maybe you've said before, if you've been a part of a church for any amount of time, you've thought to yourself after a frustrating conversation, if people were just more like me, this would be a lot easier, right? If you've ever wandered into a church and you've thought, I'm, I just feel so different from everybody else's there, I'm just suggesting to you that maybe that's how you found the place where you're supposed to be. Paul is saying, do not make the mistake of saying, I need to find a place where everybody's like me, and heaven forbid that you would be a church that would ever make anybody feel unwelcomed because they don't fit in. Paul is saying, look, we're supposed to be different because God has made us different, and we're all unique, and it's just like your physical body. You don't want to have all eyes or all noses or all ears, right? We understand that. It makes sense. It's self-evident. Your physical body needs to be diverse in order for it to function the way that God intended. And the same is true for the church. The same is true for a church. It's supposed to be different. We're different people that God pulls together. And when we begin to work together, then we can make a difference in the world. Too many people live their lives spiritually isolated as a spiritual orphan because they've bought into the lie that the devil has been whispering in their ear, you're never going to find a place where you're going to fit in. I'm just telling you, your response to that voice that's whispering inside of your ear should now be, I hope so. Because when I find a place where I don't fit in, I found a home. I find a home. Paul is challenging people through this letter. Nobody has the freedom. Nobody should have a sense of permission to stay disconnected from the body of Christ. It would be as though your eyes wake up tomorrow and say, I'm leaving. I don't want to be a part of who you are anymore. In fact, I don't even have a responsibility to be connected to anything bigger than myself. We find that ludicrous, but that's how people live their lives every day. You were made to be a part of of something somewhere that's called a church. And if it's not here, let us help you find the one that you're supposed to be with. So this is where he starts. Everybody's supposed to be a part. It's supposed to be diverse. It's supposed to be different. I understand there's going to be a healthy tension that's part of that, but that's what makes the body healthy. And then he shifts. As he moves into verses 18 through 27, he shifts his focus, and he begins to talk about this idea of mutual dependency. Read it yourself. In the text, you see there is a change in emphasis. And Paul is saying, once you find the church that you're going to call home, once you settle in the place where there's diversity and you're all different together and you plug in and you allow your life to begin to connect to other people's lives, make sure that you see all those people as being different from you. Don't tolerate them. Celebrate them because they complete you. He's saying that when you bring your gift, don't bring the kind of mindset that some people bring that I have now graced this room with my presence because of the giftedness of my life, right? Paul's saying that's not the attitude with which we come. Are there people that are that gifted? Yeah, absolutely. Are there people that are that talented? Sure. We know people like that. People like, it's just not fair how talented they are, right? Can you with me? We, we joke about Tanya and Christoph, Vanessa's sister and husband, pastors at Christian Life Center, right? They sing, they preach, right? They're just hipster, right, in the way that they look. They, they can eat donuts all day and never gain a pound, right? You can hear the bitterness in my voice just as it's coming out, right? But they are some of the most humble people that you will ever meet. Paul says, I don't care how gifted you are. When you connect to the family of God, you come with an attitude, you complete me, I don't complete you. 
And if you've got a room full of people that interact with each other, you've got a place that I want to be a part of. We're not perfect here at the City Life Church, but, but I think I can say with confidence we're making some progress in being that kind of church in this community. We, we want to be a church that, that we look at each other and say, we need each other. Even though your gift is different, even though your personality is different, even though your preferences are different, even though your passions are different, when we get together and we buy into this idea of mutual dependency that we all need each other, I'm telling you the church, it just comes alive. We're going to have a culture of honor here at the City Life Church where we honor people. We're going to be a church that when people come in and they have an expectation of being leaders, what we say to them, before you lead here, you've got to relate here. People come in, oftentimes gifted, have a resume, and what we say is come, be a part, because this is what I want to see. Can you serve other people? Can you relate to other people? Your gifts will make room for themselves. If you've got a leadership calling on your life, it will make room for itself. But start by serving and loving and doing whatever you can to give yourself and to pour yourself out for others. It sounds a little bit like Jesus, doesn't it? So this is my third one, my third promise. We're going to be a church that relies together. We're going to be a church that looks together. We're going to be a church that expects together. And we're going to be a church that relies together. We are going to have a sense of reliance on one another. We're going to be a church that cultivates an attitude in our own hearts and in your hearts that says, I need the people who are around me. So I'm just saying to you tonight, if you don't have a church that you call home, if you're looking at City Life Church, what I would say is come and rely together with us. All right, number four. Number four, this is one of the parts that I think people miss. Beginning in verse 28, something takes a turn here. We know that it takes a turn because of verses 4 through 6. If verses 4 through 6 weren't in there, then I think that, that, that we could find some sense of permission that Paul's just wrapping up his thought. He's not just wrapping up his thought because in 4 through 6, he's already said, I'm going to hit three things. He's only hit two. So there's some sense as we're reading, what's the third thing going to be? It's a little bit shorter. So again, it gets overlooked a little bit more. But in verse 28, he shifts. He said, okay, here are some of the parts... God has appointed for the church. Let me read you out of the New American Standard. Chapter 12, verse 28. And God has appointed in the church, right? And I'm going to keep reading. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Then the word then comes in. Then miracles, the gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are they? Are all not prophets? And he goes on and on and on and on. This is important, right? So, in verses 4 through 6, he talks about this idea of activities, and, and he connects that to, to God. There's a reason why he shifted from the Holy Spirit to Jesus. Now he shifts to God because when he's talking about this idea of activities, he shifts to the church. Remember, he talked about the manifestations. He's talked about the, the, the ministry. He's talked about the body, and now he talks about the church. He shifts his emphasis to God, I believe, because of what he's trying to communicate to us. He shifts to God because God in his sovereignty is the picture in the world of authority. Now this is the part that people, can, it can make us uncomfortable. And rightly so, because many of us have spent time in churches where authority has been misused and it's been used in an unhealthy way to where it's hurt people. And oftentimes that's one of the reasons why people pull away from church to begin with. I think what Paul is trying to say to us here is, hey, you can 
look together, you can expect together, you can rely together, but if you're truly going to work together, which is this last promise, if you're really going to work together, all work will become chaos if there's not leadership. There has to be some sense of leadership presence in the room, Paul is saying. Now, if you read the rest of Paul's letters, you will find that he has a lot to say about what kind of leader you're supposed to be, and his standard is high. His standard is high. It's why he uses the word first and second and third, and then he gets to the word then. It's one of the reasons why we practice what we call here. If you're going to be with us in these Discovering City Life over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about, we have a, what we call a concentric circle model of leadership. This is one of the great texts in the Bible that show us this. There should be concentric circles, and, and at the center, there should be directive leaders who are submitted to one another, who are seeking God's heart and bringing that and submitting it to the leaders further out, and then together saying, come on, this is what God's saying, let's go after it together. Directive leaders are not given authority so that the church can serve them. Directive leaders are giving authority so that they can serve the church, which is why Paul comes at it last. Paul comes at it third after he talks about ministering to the body because he's defining what the heart of a leader should be. He's defining the attitude of leadership through the text that is above. He's defining the, your truest leaders, the healthiest leaders, are leaders who see their responsibility to leadership to serve other people, not for the church to serve them. Paul is saying, hey, everybody should see themselves as being equally important, and in your equal importance, there's still going to be different roles and responsibilities. There have to be some people who are leading the way. But if they're leading well, you love to be with them because they breathe life into everyone around them. And they don't get to be a leader until they've first demonstrated that they're willing to serve. He, I, he talks about this first, second, third, and, then, and you know, can we just, right, we all know that God is Jesus, right? So, and you discover that as you read God's word. Right? I love, some people think it's a mistake, right? People think, well, that didn't belong there because he talks about leadership after then. If he was going to talk about leadership, if this is about leadership, he should have hit that under first, second, and third. You with me? It, it gives us pause. But this is the genius of God. God is saying, in a church, there's leaders functioning all throughout the church. Even if you don't have a title like a first, second, and third, if you're called to leadership, he's saying lead because then your gift will make room for itself. Lead where you are. If you have the mindset and the attitude, I can't lead until I've gotten a, a title, then you're not ever going to get a title because you're not really, really willing to lead. You just want to be served. Paul's saying, hey, in order for a church to be healthy, if there are healthy leaders, they keep giving leadership responsibilities to people all throughout the church, which is what you're going to find here at the City Life Church, which is my fourth promise to you. We're going to work together. We are going to work together. If you're looking for a church, if you don't have a church that you call home, come work together with us. We're going to look together. We are going to expect together. We're going to rely together, and we're going to work together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Number five, our last one. Verse 31 is, is, is what I would call a hinge verse. It means that it, it, it's, it's something's going to turn here for us. Or maybe you can think about it as a climactic verse that, 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 that is as is, is rich as what he's already written. He's, he's getting ready to launch us into something that's deeper still. 
Verse 31. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. See, everybody always thinks of the word most as modifying gifts, but I think most is there also to modify helpful. Because I think what Paul's saying is, no matter what you are, no matter what you've been called to be, no matter how you've been shaped, whether you are a directive leader or, or whether or not you're going to spend your life just loving on babies in the nursery, come on, and you right, you with me? It doesn't matter what your calling is. It's all equally important. The people that are changing diapers in the nursery tonight, they're just as important as me standing in this pulpit. Paul's saying, whatever it is you're called to do, be the most helpful you can be. That's my, he's saying, that's my expectation. Be the most helpful, however you're called. And if he had stopped there, we could just walk away and say, that's crazy, that chapter's crazy. Come on. But he doesn't stop there. And there's not really any chapters in here anyways. It's a letter from a man to people that he loves. And he says, but even though it's important that you understand all this, can, can I just tell you, the best way of all. He said, because if I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body. I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing because love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love, it never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture, but when the time of perfection comes, that's when we breathe our last and step into the heavens, or if we are of the generation where Jesus comes back, come on, these partial things will become useless. Here it comes, verse 11, here it comes. Love gets all the attention, but here's the principle. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. This should be the chapter demarcation because he's ending how he started by saying there should be change. He's saying, hey, we all were children at some point and hopefully you've matured in some way. For some of us, that's a little bit slower coming than others. And the world was the same 2,000 years ago. Paul is saying, hey, you can be a church that looks together. You can be a church that expects together. You can be a church that relies together and works together. But if you are not a church that's growing together, you've missed it. You've missed it. And so he picks one, which is we understand the virtue that is the biggest one of all, because he says right there, there's faith and hope and love, the big three, but he says love, it's, it's the one that matters most. He's saying to you and he's saying to me, 
that one day when we all stand before Jesus on that great and final day, there's a longing inside of us to hear him say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Can we just agree together tonight that if we have the privilege of hearing him say that to us, it's going to have a lot less to do with what we've accomplished and a whole lot more to do with who we've become. So this is my promise to you tonight. We're going to be a church that grows together. We're going to be a church that says we do not want to stay the same. We are all spiritual children in our journey in some point right now. A year from now, let us be different. Stand with me. We've saved the communion to the last moment of our service tonight. We've got a couple of songs that we're going to work through together. So this is what I'm asking you tonight. That you would pick one of these promises. Or maybe for you it's, a, it's become an invitation. You're going to just pick one. You're going to pick one and you're going to make it a prayer. Maybe for you tonight you're going to say, God, help me to expect more. Help me to live my life with a sense of expectancy that you want to use me in supernatural ways. Maybe for you tonight, your prayer needs to be, God, I need to do better on relying on other people. You pick one. You make it a prayer. And as you hold this cup that represents Jesus' blood, as you hold this bread that represents his body that was broken for you, you have in your hands a promise that Jesus made to the world when he gave his life for the sins of the world, that there is a hope for forgiveness. And part of that forgiveness is not just to be reconciled with our Heavenly Father, it's to be reconciled with his family and to be reconciled to one another and have the gift of walking in life in community together. You don't have to be a member of this church to partake of this communion. We only ask that you can look into the story of your life and find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. If you can't find that moment, you find it tonight. There's going to be a couple on either side up here to pray with you if that's something you want to pray about or if there's anything else that you want to pray about. You take the communion, you eat that bread, you drink that cup as you feel ready as we worship together. In Jesus' name.
overflow. Say, I want to run over. I want to run over. Say, fill me up. Until I overflow. Until I overflow. I want to run. I want to run over. I want to run
stars they wept The morning sun was dead The Savior of the world was fallen His body on the cross His blood poured out for us The weight of every curse upon Him He's alive in me. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. Just, I just, I want everybody just to bow their heads, close your eyes. I just want to create a moment.